So this morning we continue our summer sermon series on the questions Jesus asked. You've heard me say it many times, but Jesus answers very few questions. As they, depending on how you count an answer, Jesus answers maybe seven or eight questions in all of the Gospels. But he asks 307 questions of the, his followers. So Jesus obviously asks way more questions than he answers. And so this morning we continue on the questions that Jesus asked. Last week was a very familiar story. It was the calming of the sea. And near the conclusion of it, Jesus asked the question, where is your faith? This is a story that immediately follows that. Now they've gone to the other side and they were trying to escape the crowds, but then they arrive in a whole different country. And this is Gerasene. And it goes on to be where Jesus encounters a man who is possessed. Now, the story gets very weird, and I'm not going to read that part of it, because I decided I'll have to come back to the story, because it may be the strangest in all of Scripture, where Jesus um, you know, drives the demons out of the man, and the demons enter a herd of swine, and the swine run over a cliff. Seriously, that's part of the story. It's a very, very weird story, and scholars have debated what it really means, and no one's fully sure. But I'll come back to that in some other sermon. But this one, remember, concludes with a question, and that is from which the sermon will grow. Following this scripture, we will remain seated and sing the verse of the hymn which is printed in your bulletin. Then the disciples arrived at a country of the Gerasenes, which is the opposite of Galilee. As Jesus stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met Jesus. For a long time this man had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house, but outside of the city. Jesus then asked the man, What is your name? And the man said, Legion, for many demons possessed him. And then the story unfolds about demons being chased into the swine, and the swine going over the cliff. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So the man went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. This ends our reading from the eighth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And they made these words which once transformed the early church transform our hearts as well. The great poet John Keats wrote the epitaph that was to appear on his gravestone. And this is what it reads. Here lies one whose name was writ in water. A name written in water. I mean, imagine that. In fact, think back to perhaps a time in childhood when you stood at the edge of a lake or a still body of water, and you had a long stick, and you wrote your name in the water in cursive. Or, or imagine a 4th of July coming up very soon, where perhaps your parents had gone inside finally, and you convinced one of your older siblings to give you a sparkler, which you shouldn't have. And then you wrote your name in big letters in the sky with a sparkler. Written in water? or written in the sky. For a moment, remember back for a moment, you could see your name. 
And then, then as if there is some magic eraser somewhere, it's gone. And your name is gone from the water or the sky probably as quickly as Keats imagined that his name would evaporate when he exhaled his last breath. Well, in this morning's scripture, Jesus asked the question, what is your name? And you know what? It's possible with such a mundane question that that story could have been as ephemeral as our name written in water. The question could be hardly more straightforward, except, except, and this is really important, except that Jesus asked the question of a man who is possessed. And I'm going to come back to that. But it is, as a friend of mine has suggested, this is a really significant act of Jesus. Because after all, to ask another person their name is the beginning of a relationship. I mean, maybe that's why we love nicknames so much. Nicknames show an even deeper connection. Some of you know, I've mentioned in a sermon before, that my nickname in college was Goose. When I run into my fraternity brothers on the street, it's still very embarrassing. They'll yell, hey, Goose. It's like, please. But for my siblings, and my brother still calls me this, my nickname was Is. Chaz. The long story made short is this. When I was about five years old, my siblings, who are seven, nine, and eleven years older than I am, which means they were too old to physically torment me, so they would psychologically torment me. And so they started calling me Charles. Why? Because it made me cry, of course. <laughs> and now this really annoyed my mom, and she forbid them from calling me Charles. What my mom didn't know is that when they began calling me Chaz, it was simply the diminutive of Charles. My sister called me Chuck for a while. Both of those made me cry too, but my mom gave up by then. She was too tired. So Chaz stuck, and to this day, if I pick up the phone and I hear on the other end someone say, hey, Chaz, I know it's my brother. Because names are more than mere labels. Names create and deepen relationships. Names help form our identity. I mean, I understand, I know. Shakespeare's Juliet famously asked, what's in a name? She answered her own question and said a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So yes, although my siblings call me Charles or Chaz, my fraternity brother's Goose, Claire calls me, even sometimes in public, Richie. I think these are names of endearment. They have to do with identity. And identity is a fairly substantial issue. When it comes to understand what it means to be called by name, and by called perhaps even by God. Maya Lin, the woman who was the architect, sculptor, the artist who designed the Vietnam War Memorial, was asked why she thought her work had such a grip on the American psyche. And she said, it's not the color black, it's not the granite. She said, it's the names. The names are all that matter. I think she's right. 
except she was echoing a 2,500-year-old sentiment. The prophet Isaiah, writing two and a half millennia ago, wrote, quoting the Lord, I have called you by name, says the Lord, and thus you are mine. You are mine. Names are all about relationships. But here's the challenge, right? God often calls us by name indirectly. I say that because I think of Reuben Shears, who was one of the great pastors of the United Church of Christ. He was once asked if he'd ever heard God's voice calling him into the ministry, if God had ever called him by name, and immediately said, no, never. In fact, he added, the silence has been deafening. But then Reuben Shears went on to describe what it was like growing up in his African-American church in South Carolina. And he said after worship on many Sunday mornings, the deacons would sit in the narthex, the exit to the church, and would say to the young people as they passed by, you, Miss Johnson, you, you explain things so well, we think you're going to go on to college and be a teacher. Or you, you seem to have the ability to fix things. John, we think you're going to be a carpenter. Finally, Reuben asked them, after many months of never having his name spoken, what about me? And they said, you, Reuben, well, we thought you knew you're going to be a pastor. And Reuben said, you see, right? He never heard God's voice, but he heard something almost as important. He heard the voice of the people of God calling him by name. I think it's true. Names are really important because we yearn to be known. We yearn to be in relationship with God. In a question that Catherine will address in July, Jesus asks one of the most poignant and tender questions of the disciple Peter. And when he does, he calls him by name and says, Peter, do you love me? To speak in another person's name is to recognize a relationship, a commitment, which brings us to this encounter between Jesus and a man, but not just any man, one who was possessed by unclean spirits. In the first century, they used the language all the time. They use it in scripture all the time. They would say the person was possessed by a demon. But many of the behaviors described, of course, of these people are often symptomatic of what today we would call mental health challenges. Regardless, this poor man is suffering. The man sees Jesus from a distance, and he runs to Jesus. And Jesus asks him, what's your name? Not, what do you want? Or what's wrong with you? Tell me your name. I mean, this is not a trifling question, and particularly in this instance, because those who were possessed were unclean. They were people not to be encountered, people to be avoided at all costs. And so the question that Jesus asks of this man is just laden with dignity. Dignity. It's the question one human 
asks of another. It is the question that begins a relationship. It's a particularly important question because the man was likely living as an exile from his community. It says he lived outside of the village. If this was taking place in Jerusalem, he would have been forced to live with all those who were possessed by demons in a place called Gehenna, which was just outside the city walls. Being outside the city walls, of course, meant that you were unsafe from outsiders. But here's also what Gehenna was the place where those who were possessed were condemned to live, it also served as the city garbage dump. Now begin to put the pieces together, and you'll see how significant this question Jesus asked of the possessed man is. Think about a garbage dump, right? Even today, the methane from decomposing trash builds up and <laughs> bursts into flame. Garbage dumps are always on fire. And this possessed man was condemned to live there with all those who were possessed by demons. And it was called Gehenna. The middle letters being H-E-N-N. -N. A place that's always on fire, where demons live. H-E-N-N. -N. It gives us the word hell. It was a literal place. The Valley of Gehenna. And Jesus asks the name of a man who lives in hell? Well, if he was willing to do that, think of what Jesus might do if he visited the migrant camps along our southern border. I keep in my heart and rest assured that he would lead with dignity as opposed to judgment. If he were to visit those camps, he would ask those individuals their names. And I'm certain he would treat each and every one of them as a child of God. Because to ask someone their name is nothing less than an invitation to life. It was a question dripping with dignity. It was the first step in the miracle of healing. Now the man acknowledges that he is deeply troubled and he says, my troubles are legion, which means more than we could ever count. But still the man, having been invited to say his name, was now invited into a relationship with Jesus. And you heard how the story ends. In a sense, the man who was once naked is now in a new set of clothes and in his right mind. And he asked Jesus if he can follow him, but Jesus has an even better idea. He tells the man to tell those that in his community and in his family that he has been healed. Tell them this amazing story. And one has to imagine that this story of healing continued as he returned home, where now they too called this one person they loved by name. And I imagine that this healed man might have begun his story with his family and his community with something like wonder in his voice and saying the first thing, the first thing that Jesus asked me was my name. Maya Lin is right. It's all about the name. It's all about the name.
So, the story I read, is this some miracle of healing? Something that defies the possibilities of medical science? Or is this more likely a miracle of compassion and kindness? Where a man who was once possessed, who was unwanted, unwelcome, was now treated with the dignity everyone deserves. And it all began with a simple question. What's your name? That, I tell you, is indeed a miracle of kindness and compassion. Which, by the way, is a miracle you and I, and yes, our nation, can extend to the stranger every day. And just think about that, that if we do, who knew, who knew that you and I might be miracle workers too? Amen.